2: taking
0: it to a
1: do-it-yourself level hello and welcome to another edition of the beyond zero show we're coming to you from the studios of 3cr melbourne syndicated around australia on the community radio network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au both the bze community show and this show are now available on itunes and stitcher so please subscribe and rate us and help others find the show my name is Kay Wienigal and I'm today joined by my co-host Kira Rundle. Hey Kay, good to be here. And Michael Steindl.
0: G'day Kay and Kira and g'day listeners.
1: Given that the federal election is only a few weeks away, it seems an opportune time to go through the recent reports from the Australia Institute. It really produced a couple of reports, one covering an Australia-wide poll on the support for climate action and the other in an analysis of the economic impacts of climate policy or the lack thereof. To explain both these reports, we've got Mark Og in the studio today, and Mark's the Principal Advisor of the Australian Institute. Listeners may remember him from last year when we discussed that terrible issue of the gas fracking in the Northern Territory. Hi, Mark.
2: Hi, Kay. Great to be here.
1: Thanks for coming in. Mark, there's been a lot of political noise and attempted point scoring in this 2019 federal election lead-up about the costs of acting on global warming with some arguing that we need to give the economy a higher priority than climate action. So it's very timely to talk about your report on the costs of climate inaction, and that report's called The Cold Shower on Economics of Global Warming. It says there inaction on climate change could cost Australia $131 billion a year, and that's excluding natural disasters that already cost Australia over $18 billion a year. So, can you tell us how you arrive at a figure like a one hundred and thirty-one billion dollars?
2: Yeah, thanks, Kay. I, I think the first thing to the first thing to say, though, is that it's a completely false dichotomy to to um, frame the debate as between the economy and climate change, because if we allow co- climate change to uh, to keep going in the direction it's going, it's going to devastate the economy. So, action, you know. Act, action on climate change is the best thing we can do for the economy.
0: And ultimately every economic activity is actually extractive of the environment. It's it's not like the environment is a subset of the economy. It's it's the economy is a subset of the environment.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And and every major industry that we have is going to be massively impacted like everything depends on you know having reasonably stable temperatures uh, rainfall not good rainfall not too many natural disasters and viable ecosystems so it's it's just ridiculous to pitch them to to frame them as in conflict with each other and it's just clearly a a strategy used by some people who have a short-term vested interest in you know in not having their activities curtailed i guess yeah. but in answer to your question about the 130 billion dollars in our report, we've—that's actually not our number. We've cited some research by a study by Compass et al., which is a group of researchers from the University of Melbourne, the ANU, and the CSIRO, and they did modelling that looked at the impact on the economy of various levels of global warming. So they looked at the cost on the global economy and individual economies around the world of and the the cost of 4 degree warming the cost of 3 degree warming and 2 degree warming i think it was so so obviously the cost of 4 degree warming is higher than the cost of 2 degree warming and for in and globally the difference between the two between 4 degree warming and 2 degree warming was that in a 4 degree warming world it would cost the global economy 17 trillion dollars every year by 2100 so a massive a massive um, cost on the global economy, you know, which you can understand when you've got nat- natural disasters and devastating heat waves and and uh, changes in rainfall and all of that kind of thing. So they're also able to drill down and look specifically at different national economies, and they looked at the Australian economy, and they found that a world that's warmed to four degrees, uh, the cost to Australia every year would be about one hundred and sixty-four billion dollars a year which is huge and then they found that under a 2 degree warming there'd still be a huge costs because 2 degrees is a very dangerous level of climate change but that would be around 33 or 34 billion dollars a year so the difference between those two is 130 billion dollars a year so the current government's climate target is 26% 26 to 28% below 2005 levels and that is consistent with 4 degree warming Okay, that's a recipe to get us 4 degree warming or more. So
1: and cost our economy a lot more. And well, that's and, the and so that that, that
2: will be, that will be costing 130 so, billion dollars relative to if we brought it down so to two. The longer we take warming. to act,
1: the, the more expensive it becomes.
2: Absolutely, yep.
1: So the report stated that avoiding global warming brings major economic benefits as you've just alluded to, and it also analyzes Australia's recent experience with carbon pricing and supporting economic literature. So tell us a bit about that, what the carbon pricing did.
2: You know, the the, the history of carbon pricing is really interesting because we had carbon pricing between July 1st, uh, 2012 and July 1st, 2014 in Australia, so a very short period. And so, you know, there was claims... That you know the sky would fall in economically if we had carbon pricing, but when you look at what actually happened, we had strong growth. So we had five percent growth over those two years that added about eighty billion dollars to the Australian economy, and uh, we had strong employment growth. Well, it didn't it, it, employment growth didn't really change under the under the, uh, the during the time we had the carbon price. So
1: no jobs were lost due to carbon price.
2: Yeah, well, overall, it didn't really have any impact on employment. So there might be a bit of a change, and there should be, because you're trying to bring about economic change. So you might want less jobs in industries that are highly polluting and more jobs in renewable energy, for instance. But overall, there didn't seem to be very much of an impact on on employment. So So really, growth continued... As it had, you know, it was pretty strong growth. Australians got a lot richer over the, that time, about $1,200 per person. Wow, over which that is time. definitely not
1: happening at the moment.
2: Yeah, so, well, growth adds up over time. And so Australia has had strong economic growth for for a long period, but it didn't change under the carbon mm. price.
1: Mm. It didn't affect it negatively as... no a lot of people think no but
3: what did change was there was a dramatic drop in emissions during that time so it's i think a really important take-home message that the economy can continue to grow while emissions decrease I think. Mm,
2: a- yeah. absolutely right. yeah yeah it was very effective it brought down emissions emissions were going up before that they went down during the carbon price and they've been going up ever mm. since
0: mark the cost of natural disasters is readily available Are they increasing? Is there evidence they're increasing due to climate change? And if so, are these costs being included in projections?
2: So natural disasters... So the the report I just talked about, for instance, with the $130 billion... Uh, a year difference with four degree warming Mm. is very conservative because it actually doesn't include the costs of natural disasters and the costs of natural disasters are massive so in australia at the moment natural disasters cost us on average about 18 billion dollars a year and they're projected even if you didn't take into account climate change that's projected to grow to about 30 billion dollars a year by 2030
0: why would they have not included that Are they just being ultra ultra conservative so they
2: yeah, look, but, but Deloitte Access Economics who did the modeling basically just didn't they didn't factor in climate change and I think it was it was actually a political decision because it was it was basically done by the insurance industry trying to get the government to take steps to do adaptation and build resilience and they thought that if they took, if they framed it in terms of climate change they'd have less, less success mm-hmm. with a conservative government that was was quite skeptical about climate change so it was it was kind of political what you've got to understand is that of that 18 billion dollars a year it's made up of just a few events so for instance the Queensland 2011 floods the total economic cost of those events was estimated at about 14 billion dollars and the Black Saturday bushfires were about $7 billion. So two single events make up a very large chunk of that. Now, what climate change is doing is making those kinds of events more frequent. So the Australian Bureau of Meteorology has done modelling and they said that rainfall disruptions, which include those kinds of floods and droughts, have already increased by 30% in frequency as a result of climate change. And that's Over to, what period of time? Um, that's to date or to, to 2014 when the study was done. And the, and by uh, mid-century, that'll have, incre- that'll have increased in frequency by 90% and by um, up to 130% by the end of the century. So you're going to get more and more, like twice as many of these events, like the Queensland floods, and at $14.5 billion a pop, that's a massive increase in the cost of natural disasters. Mm. So we know, we know that th- these disasters are increasing and um, we know the costs are massive, so it's a really, really important that we get onto it.
1: Very scary, in fact.
0: The report states that there's many economic anal- analysts suggesting that the economic impacts of, of taking appropriate climate action will be minor.
2: Why are they arguing this? Well, because it's it's... The the costs of the, the, the well, there's two reasons. The costs of inaction of climate as we have just discussed yep. are absolutely massive globally. So it's you know, offsetting the costs of Australia. inaction. So yeah, so it's um, you're spending some money to avoid to reduce a problem, mm-hmm. avoid it as much as possible, or reduce it. So if you're not hit by the massive costs of that problem, then you know there's there's not much cost to it. But the other part of it is that a lot of the changes that you, it's it's a win-win situation. A lot of the things that you need to do to actually avoid dangerous climate change have a whole lot of spin-off benefits. You know, it's always framed as a cost, but actually renewable energy is now cheaper than building a new coal plant or a new gas plant. So you take a step that reduces emissions; it actually has a it, it actually gives you cheaper power, which has a huge which has huge flow-on benefits. When you take action in the land use sector and you do revegetation, and you um, improve your soil tillage and all of that kind of thing, uh, or you do biosequestration, well, that has huge benefits to, to to the land and to the productivity of agriculture. So, um, so like that uh, famous cartoon, what if we did all these good things and yeah, then we didn't need to? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, transport is another great thing. And th- this is why BZE is so great, because BZE actually... Paints the picture and 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 looks mm. at the and looks at these things we could do and actually identifies all the great benefits, the the jobs and economic benefits.
1: A, and that's the surprising thing: the number of jobs that are there. It really staggers me that we're arguing about the Galilee Basin, which is at best very, very best going to produce fourteen hundred jobs for yeah. Adani. And then if you put renewable energy in that area, you'd be talking about tens of thousands of jobs.
2: Yeah. Well, Why it,
1: aren't people talking about that?
2: So, so you're absolutely right. I, th- I think we have to take a step back first and we have to – if you're talking about jobs in the economy, uh, you've got to remember that there's a workforce in Australia of I think I think it's about 13, 11 or 12 uh, million yeah. people, right? Mm-hmm. So mining is a very small part of that. So, mm-hmm. for instance, the coal industry employs about half of 1% of the Australian workforce. So it's a small employer anyway and um, it's highly automated and it's getting even more automated. And on top of that, when you have these massive resource projects, they tend to crowd out other industries. So the economy is not a magic pudding. You've got a, certain, a limited amount of skilled labour. So if you start a, a massive coal mine in the Galilee Basin that employs a thousand people, you know, it needs them straight away. Then that all, that will those people have to come from somewhere else. So the jobs are it's rearranging the deck chairs rather than creating new jobs to, to a large extent. So it's actually very small like something like Adani is a very small jobs impact and so yes there's a lot of r- jobs in renewable energy but there's also the rest of the economy to concentrate mm. on health education all of these tourism, of these tourism. and yeah, um, in Queensland. and and the reason that there's so much focus on coal jobs is just that there's a company that stands to make billions of dollars out of out of exporting the coal, and they've got a very strong incentive to talk a lot about the amount of jobs they'll be creating and it's interesting that it's, I, I, I always say it's, it's kind of inversely proportional. The amount you talk about, the, the amount an industry talks about how many jobs they create is generally inversely proportionable, proportionable to the amount of jobs they create. Because, you know, <laughs> industries like manufacturing don't need to say, oh, we employ lots of people because they do. Right, mm. but industries like coal, who are constantly under attack for so many reasons, um, uh, so, oh, you know, we we create a whole lot of jobs. So the more, the more noise they make, the more they're trying to hide it. Yeah, that's right. That's right.
1: If, if you've just tuned in, we're talking to Mark Og, principal advisor of the Australian Institute.
3: I just want to switch gears here, away from jobs for a sec, um, and talk about specifically one of the studies that you cite in one of the reports by Van Dyke et al., which found that um, Australia could comply with a two degree scenario with a change of just um, a reduction of 0.25% of GDP. So that's a quarter of a percent drop. Um, Does the federal labor's target of 45% emission reduction by 2030 bring us closer to that?
2: Uh, So the labor, the, yeah, so so that studies is another one of these studies. There's Mm. many studies that show that there would, that actually... Getting, reducing emissions enough to hit two degrees or, or lower would have a very a tiny impact on mm-hmm. G, G, uh, on GDP. It wouldn't be noticeable, right? So Can that, we just clarify that quarter of yeah. a percent
0: is that a quarter of a three percent? Not a quarter of uh, not a quarter of, of that
2: three. I think hmm. it's point two five of one per- yes. Per- yes. percent. That's yes,
0: yes, right. but of, say we're averaging at three percent or two percent GDP. Yeah, as a fraction of that, it, it's still a marginal oh, amount. So if we re- if, if we're running at three percent, we'd be running at two point seven five percent. That's
2: right. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So so you know a relatively small impact, mm-hmm. um, and and they're they're really conservative because they're not taking into account a whole lot of other things like mm-hmm. natural disasters and, and those impacts. But um, in terms of how close it gets to with Labor's policies, so the Coalition's policy is or the government policy at the moment is a 26 to 28% reduction on 2005 levels by uh, uh by 2030 and that's putting us on track to 4 degrees warming or more. So mm-hmm. labor's target is uh is would reduce emissions a lot more but it's not clear that it would actually be sufficient to get us to 2 degrees. Mm-hmm. So we actually need to get, be much more ambitious than that but it it's definitely a lot better than the, the current targets.
1: Well, we, we have to be a lot more. In fact, I think the British government has passed a climate emergency
3: action. Yesterday, yes, yeah, I saw that yesterday, I think. Yeah, yeah.
2: And, and I mean, I think the penny's dropping because, you know, this year has been, I mean, the, the natural disasters around the world um, in the last uh, 12 to 18 months have just been staggering and and, and global and uh, really frightening. And I think the penny's really dropping all over the world you know i mean australia uh we had our hottest summer ever we had uh fires last you know massive fires in new south wales last winter mm. uh, you know unprecedented we had uh unprecedented fires in queensland last november uh we had temperatures broken all over the country um you know fires in tasmania and victoria uh, and, and the massive floods in Queensland. And, and mm. the list goes on. So mm. so I think, um, yeah, people are realising that this is a climate emergency and we've got to act really quickly to deal with it.
1: So I guess, well, we're starting to run out of time, yeah. so let's move on to the um, survey that you did yeah. of um, 1,536 Australians about their attitudes towards climate change. So when you say a nationally representative sample of 100 and what is it, 1,536 people. What do you mean and how were the people surveyed?
2: The polling companies um, choose a survey that, uh, choose an amount of people um, from across the country that they work out are, are, are representative of the total population and so there's a whole lot of statistical ways that they do that and the size of the sample that we've used in this is a pretty standard sample size for this kind of survey across the country. So they tend to, you know, have a pretty low margin of error and um, yeah, they're found to be pretty reliable.
3: So I just want to dive straight into some of the questions that were asked in the survey. Uh, The first that stood out to me was a question around whether or not the government should mobilize society in a way that they did during the world wars to tackle climate change. And this question actually got a 53% um, positive response that people agreed that the government should take such um, dramatic action, um, and that 20% of the population didn't know or didn't have an opinion, which seems significant that a majority of um, Australians find that this is a topic that they feel the government should be taking much more seriously than it is. Do you have a comment on that? It seems a
0: very high figure. I'm I'm mm -hmm. impressed that that (laughs) many Australians actually recognize it. Oh,
2: I think it's staggering. I think the fact that a majority of Australians want a World War Two scale mm-hmm. mobilisation to deal with climate change, and only, I think, 30% don't, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's absolutely staggering. And it just shows how far ahead of the government and even of the environment groups in this country, mm. the Australian public Very is. Very good point. The, the, you know, the environment groups by and large, the, you know, the big NGOs are not calling... You know, for mass mobilisation and 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 um, and a climate emergency and that kind of thing, but the population already there. Mm. You know, it's it's huge, and 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 it just means that, and and I think it's really amazing because there's this gap, isn't there, between. What people think, other people think, and mm-hmm. what the population does actually think, and Very that's a, true. and and so there is huge support for taking really radical action on climate change, and um, and I think that's that's a really great thing to know.
1: Yeah, some large NGOs and um, politicians, federal politicians, don't seem to get it, but the mm. rest of Australia does.
2: Yeah,
0: in fact, there's a, a reinforcing question that follows that to the one that Kira mentioned, that was talking about. World War II mobilisation on climate change, but you also asked a question about taking emergency action um, and 58% of respondents agreed that we should be taking emergency action, which is... is, um, I'm I'm blown away by that, actually. But even the question, um, what Australia does on climate change, will make no difference. You get 59% of people disagreeing with that. Showing yeah. that people are so aware of the lack of government action.
2: Yeah, and you know, I found that really interesting because that when I'm out there talking to people around Australia, that is the that is the main argument that gets thrown back at me by people who you know are generally conservative and and, and opposed to action on climate change. So when I saw that that number, I thought, yeah, not not very many people. Well, most people just don't buy that argument, and that's really comforting to know. I
3: think one other thing that's worth highlighting is that with all of these responses, we have, you know, 53% in favor of large government action, um, that 53% doesn't account for the 20% of people who didn't know or didn't have an opinion. And so if you were able to reach that 20% of respondents and convince them as well, that would just skyrocket the number of people. So I'm wondering, um, most of the questions in the survey had about 15 to 20% of people not have an opinion on climate change. Do you think that kind of highlights that there's a lot of room for education and um Spreading the word to to twenty percent of the population as well
2: I think there 's a huge opportunity we have to We have to reach these people and explain it and explain it in terms of how it impacts their life. you know what it 's going to be like if we keep getting more of these natural disasters and increasing extreme temperatures and falling rainfall and all of that kind of thing really really talk through people's talk it through to people so that they understand how that will impact on every aspect of their life you know it'll make uh it'll it'll drive up food prices it'll mean they can't go outside as much it'll mean recreation like sporting activities will be harder it'll cost jobs all sorts of things and i think there's a huge opportunity and um and we need to do it and i think BZE plays a really big part in that because BZE can actually tell people what we need to do. And by telling people, giving people that positive vision of you know what we can do to actually deal with the problem actually helps that 20% of people to come across the line and say, hey, yeah, let's do this. You know, Let's avoid these terrible consequences and let's do this thing because it sounds like a great thing to do and it's got a whole lot of other benefits.
0: Mark, just in our last um, minute, if, if we could address this question of of um, the fudging that Australians is doing. Um, in an article in Renewal Economy, excuse me, uh, they had a graph from the Australia Institute that showing that carbon emissions during the carbon tax were about 525 uh, um, megaton of CO2 equivalents, and since then it's risen to about 560 and continued to rise. This includes, um, and this is the uh, nasty acronym, I've seen this, of, uh, yeah. which is land use, land use change and forestry. Um, what would the effect have been if that was included? Um, because this it, are you, is this talking about the the Australia clause in the Kyoto Treaty that where we've got these notional credits that we are crediting.
2: Yeah, we. I, I'm not sure of the the exact impact, but but basically we got a really good deal in the in the Kyoto negotiations because we held a, hunt, a gun to the head of the yeah, negotiations. Howard's
0: saying, I'm not signing unless you give us this the, great the extra credits. packet for Australia.
2: Yeah, so we've been... The fudge. Yeah, it was a big fudge, and um, so we've been hanging on to those credits, and uh, and it's just basically an accounting trick to get out of having to re- reduce emissions a whole lot more. <laughs> and we're planning to still use those... In claiming this canter,
0: getting there in a canter, it's using these... Um, yes. A, a, ..this accounting trick or accounting y- fudge. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, I do like one of the articles that said uh, extending the horse and not, analogy that it's um, not so much getting there in a candor as flogging a dead horse. <laughs>
2: That's, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right.
1: So the, the other, just I, I think this is the last thing we can really comment on, is um, the statistic on the forestry logging and the amount of support. And it was huge in yeah. Western Australia and yeah. Queensland where I think they do a lot more logging than anywhere else.
2: Mm. Yeah, that was well, a surprise. Yeah, I mean, and and that's uh, that's really important. I think because logging is terrible for climate change and terrible for the environment. Uh, logging native forests, and Australians just don't want it. You yep. know, a very vocal minority, kind of do, but overwhelmingly Australians Overwhelming. want this to stop. Yeah, seventy
1: nine or more percent. Mark, we've just run out of time, so thank you very much. And people can find out more if they Google the Australian Institute. The
2: the Australia Institute, www.tai.org.au.
1: Thanks so much, Mark. So Australia's
2: counterbalance to the
0: IPA. That's right.
1: (laughs) We've been speaking to Mark Ogg, Principal Advisor from the Australian Institute. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate change solutions think tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the community radio network. Previous episodes of this show are available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe to help others find the show. If you enjoy the show and can donate to help cover airtime costs, please go to the BZE website and click on the donate button. Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next week.
3: Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia.